3. I would also, while you're turning, I'd like to invite Michael Ainsworth. We, God filled him with the Holy Ghost, and we want you to come. We have a certificate, and we are so excited for what God is doing in Brother Michael's life. Why don't you put your hands together? Amen. That's what it's all about. We also have a baptismal certificate for Sister Navy Case. We want her to come up here right now. We're so happy for what God is doing in her life. We're not done yet. Tonight after service, Brother Carson is going to be baptized in that beautiful name of Jesus, and we rejoice with him. So thankful for what God is doing in our children, our young people. Amen. Verse 3, Bible says, Incline your ear and come unto me. Here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I want to draw from my subject that last phrase of Isaiah 55 and 3, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. I want to preach on this thought, a divine pause. A divine pause. Lord bless you as you're seated tonight. The attributes of God are many, even more than what the human mind can comprehend. Perhaps the greatest attribute of the Lord would be His mercy the extent of which no man can measure or define. That mercy is never more embraced and appreciated than in the life of David. The life of David, or rather the name David, means one who is well beloved. To give you a brief summary, he was born the eighth and the youngest son of Jesse, a resident of Bethlehem. He was the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. At a young age, he tended his father's sheep. 
usually a job reserved for the least esteemed of the family or for even a servant. The prophet Samuel makes a special trip to Bethlehem and anoints him to be the next king of Israel. God chose David to replace Saul, who would someday lose his life because he departed from his ways. A few years after his anointing, David fights and takes the life of Goliath the giant, who was a Philistine living in Gath. His basic faith led the future king to conclude that God would ultimately defend those who were his, something the entire Israelite army lacked the faith to accept. In time, David began his ascent to the throne. Because of a contention over the throne, King David ruled only the tribe of Judah after the death of Saul. His rule over one tribe, which began when he was about 30, lasted seven and one-half years. After this time, all the elders of Israel acknowledged him as the sole ruler over all the tribes. He continues to live a wonderful life even as king. Shortly after becoming ruler over all of Israel, David attacked the Jebusites in Jerusalem and captured the city. This is why to this day Jerusalem is called the city of David. It becomes the capital over a united Israel and the place where he lives. After a few missteps, he eventually brings the Ark of the Covenant back into the city. And as ruler, he carries out successful military campaigns against the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Philistines, and the Syrians. But the life of David is not all peaches and cream. It's not a tiptoe through the tulips. In fact, uh, many of his problems are self-inflicted. His illicit affair with Bathsheba, the arranged murder of her husband, and the attempted cover-up his sins cost him grief, dishonor, the life of a child in trouble within his own household. The sin of taking a census to determine the size of his army. Insist instead of trusting God cost the lives of more than 70,000 Israelites. His lack of discipline in his own house contribute to his son Absalom rebelling against him and another son Adonijah seeking to inherit the throne instead of Solomon. While David is known as the man after God's own heart, it's hard to think after hearing the list of everything he did wrong. What would attract God to such a man? I submit to you today, it was more than God being attracted to a man. It was deeper than that. There was a covenant that God was seeking to establish with a man's lineage and with a man's seed. For we go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we find that David desired to build a house for the Lord. In fact, he told Nathan the prophet his desire. And at first, Nathan agreed and said that it shall be so. However, that night, the Lord visited Nathan the prophet and spoke to him to go tell David that it would not happen. 
God would allow the house to be built, but not by the hands of one who said, shed so much blood. It would be by his seed. But he established a covenant with David. Found in Psalm 89, verse 2, he says, For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. God obligated himself to the very lineage and seed of David. He understood that David's honesty and his purity and his truth was attractive to the throne of God. He said that I will establish my covenant with you knowing full well that he would come through that very lineage and that that covenant would reach beyond the Lord himself and would change the course of humanity. Therefore, the mercy of God always met the truth of David, and David walked in forgiveness. The relationship of the Lord and David is best described in Psalm 85 and 10, where it says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. David a man after God's own heart. Isaiah 55 and 3 says, Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. That word sure means the established or the confirmed Mercy. It was a covenant. It was not a shallow promise. But God said, I will establish this covenant that for you and your seed there will be mercy shown unto all the generations. You got to walk with me because I'm moving slowly. As a ruler, his duty was to execute judgment and justice. He was bound by the law. There was no spirit of God to guide men. And thus he established his throne in justice and judgment. 2 Samuel 8.15 And David reigned over all Israel. And David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. On the surface it would seem that the covenant established regarding mercy was non-existent. But the lineage of David would eventually birth the root and the offspring of David. So we go to the book of Luke chapter 1. When Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, begins to prophesy under the unction of the Holy Ghost, and he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to redeem his holy covenant. After 400 years of silence, the heavens opened. And the father of John prophesied about this divine contract. He is coming to perform the mercy, the same sure mercies of David, the same contract he made between God and men, that the mercy of God would be extended toward the lineage of David. And a divine pause came down and touched humanity. Because David established his throne in justice and judgment, Christ would look through the lens of mercy and truth. A mother once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy mercy and spared her son. I submit to you today in doing a word search, you will not find the word justice in the New Testament. You can go look. I've already looked. It's not there. Because God said, there will be a day that I will establish my throne in justice and judgment. But right now, I've got to hit a pause. And that pause is going to be mercy. That pause is going to be truth. That pause is going to be redemption. Psalm 89, 14 says, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. You hear me tonight. God's throne, the throne that all men will stand before, is established in justice and in judgment. But God said, hold on. There's got to be a veil. There's got to be a lens through which I view my creation. And that lens is going to be established through Jesus Christ. That lens is going to be mercy and truth. The day will come when we stand before God. But until that time, God says, I'm going to look at you through mercy. I'm going to look at you through truth. Oh, we ought to pause and thank God for that mercy that he's shown us. That same mercy and truth that David experienced. How can we experience that? Paul said in Romans 8.21, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When you're born again of that water and that spirit, you enter into that covenant that he made with David. 
You become part of his offspring into the lineage of David. And the same sure mercies of David that God said you're going to get, Solomon's going to get. And everybody that flows through your lineage, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you become a part of that same lineage that Christ had. And you are extended the same sure mercies that David had. This is why the Scripture says in Romans 15 and 9 that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. My my friend, if anyone's got a response or a reason to rejoice today, it's the very people sitting in this room. For we are the Gentiles. We were not heirs to salvation. But Paul said, you Gentiles, you need to rejoice because the mercies of God have been extended towards you. Every one of us was destined for hell. But God said, I'm going to graft them in. They're going to become joint heirs with Christ. And when you receive the Holy Ghost and you're baptized in Jesus' name, you enter into the covenant of mercy. There's three things I want you to know about the mercy of God tonight. First, you don't deserve God's mercy. You receive God's mercy. If we got what we deserved... It would be called justice. The mercy of God is the extension of the love and compassion of God. Many times in the New Testament, you'll read of people saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. They were not appealing to his power. They were not appealing to his sovereignty. They were appealing to his compassion. They were appealing to the love of God. Nobody in this room or on this earth deserves the mercy of God. We deserve justice, which means that we are sent to eternal hell to be forever separated from God. But this is why Titus 3 and 5 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Nobody... Nobody deserves the mercy of God. It's something you receive. You see, some people, I have talked to people in the past, I have met people all over this country, that they're trying to get things together before they let God put it together. And that's not how this thing works. God never said, whosoever has their act together, let him come. Whosoever is void of problems, let him come. Whosoever has never messed up, let him come. He said, whosoever will, 
Let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. God said, I'm going to set the bar so low that it doesn't matter what they look like, what they smell like, what they act like, or if they spit white. All that matters is they say, I want you in my life. Aren't you thankful for that mercy of God? We can't wait till we got it all together. That's never been a requirement in the Word of God. Because the people that are waiting till they get it all together will never get it together. You don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. You got to get everything in order. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And because he knows what you're going through, because he knows the pressures of the world, because he understands the temptations of humanity, this is what he says. Let us therefore come boldly, boldly under the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace is given because of our identity. Mercy is given because of the love of the Father. We come to the throne of grace because we understand who we are in God. We're sinners saved by grace. But we're looking for that mercy, just like your child. When they mess up, they go to mom and dad, or they should go to mom and dad. They're not going to run to me because I'm not their mom and dad because they know who their identity is linked to. Now, they go to somebody else, they might, get, they might get harsher treatment. But because they go to their father, the mercy is extended because of their identity to the father. And he says, you come to that place where your identity is established, and I will give you the mercy that matches your identity. You're always the most lenient on your kids. You know how, well, that was my kid, I'd tear him up. And then your kid does the same thing, and you don't want to touch him. Well, that's good. But it's because they tapped into their identity. And because of their identity, you gave them mercy. God's the same way. So first is you don't, you don't, you don't, you receive the mercy of God. You don't deserve the mercy of God. But secondly, you can't exhaust the mercies of God. Isaiah 55 and 7, let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He won't just pardon. He said, I will abundantly pardon, because he has an abundance of mercy. Psalm 103 and 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Watch this and plenteous in mercy. There's an abundance of the mercy of God. You know why? When that Ark of the Covenant was upon those wheels and they were trying to move it, it was top-heavy with mercy. And if there's anything that God has an abundance of, He's got an abundance of mercy. That's why Lamentations 3.22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassion fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. 
eyes. When you woke up this morning, you woke up to a brand new batch of the mercies of God. It doesn't matter what you do. You will not be able to exhaust the mercy of God. In fact, 42 verses in the Word of God declare, His mercy endureth forever. Do you realize that you cannot measure nor gauge forever? But the psalmist said, I will praise Him because I know His mercy endureth forever. I take authority tonight over the lie from the enemy that'll tell you that you've done too much, you've gone too far, or you've messed up too bad. That's a lie from the pits of hell. As long as you're breathing, there is mercy for you. Touch your neighbor and tell them there's an abundance of mercy. I'm hastening to a close. I want you to listen to me. Third thing I want you to realize, there is an expiration date attached to his mercy. This is why verse 6 of Isaiah 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. The lens of mercy and truth that stands between the throne of God and His creation will one day be removed. The throne of God is established in justice and judgment. And one day, every individual that's ever existed will stand before that throne of justice and judgment and will be accountable for everything they've done, whatever's not covered by the blood, and we will receive our reward based upon our performance on this earth. Right now, God's looking at you through the lens of mercy and truth. That was the purpose of the Sonship of Christ. But there will be a time when that, that lens will be removed and the expiration date will be stamped for the mercy of God. In fact, you will not find the word mercy in the entire book of Revelation. Not there. Because by the time those events start unfolding, the lens of mercy and truth will be removed. There's an expiration date to the mercy of God. And God will reach for people and reach for people and reach for people. In fact, he says, I'm going to come and stand at the door and I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep knocking. And if any man will hear me, let him open the door and I will come in with him. And I will sup with him, but let him know that the mercy that I'm extending will not always be there. Because just as Moses, or rather Noah, over a hundred years built that ark. And a hundred years people had the opportunity to get their life ready and to enter into that ark. Over a hundred years they had mercy. But God left one thing in place. He said, Noah, you won't be the one to determine when the door shuts. 
I'm going to shut the door. It won't be on men to stop my mercy. It won't be on a preacher to stop my mercy. I will be the one that sets the time. And when I set the time, it's over. No more mercy. I will give. I will forgive. I will extend mercy. I will give grace. I will help. I will heal. I will turn their life around. But when that trumpet sounds, no more mercy. Just as the door shuts on the ark, so will the opportunity for humanity. And you better hear this preacher. There will be people beating down this door trying to get to an altar. And they may beat the door down and they may come kneel at this altar, but what they will not receive is the mercy of God. They will not. They can cry out all day long for forgiveness. But God will say, I will hear you no more because I called and you did not answer. I reached and you did not respond. I knocked, and you did not open because the lens of mercy and truth is removed. Stand with me now. We are living in a divine pause, Sister Joyce. We're living in that moment of time where God said, I'm going to pause justice and judgment. And I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to show mercy. But the day is going to come when he hits the pause button again and it's the scenario is going to keep playing. The scenario is going to keep playing. God's throne is established in justice and judgment. But right now, while we're here, we have opportunity to receive the mercy of God. Heads bowed and eyes closed all over the building. I have a responsibility to the Lord, to his flock, to declare the whole truth and counsel of God. And as much as I love preaching faith, and I love preaching different things out of this word that can bring us to our feet in a crescendo. There's nothing, there's nothing more important than preaching, making your calling and your election sure. And there are people here today that think you'll always have another chance. You've heard message after message of some of the finest preachers that can out-preach me any day. But it's not about what they're preaching. The question is, are you responding to what they're preaching? And God is reaching one more time. God is throwing the net one more time. He's saying, right now, you've got mercy. Right now, you've got truth. Right now, you've got a divine opportunity to get things in order, to put things under the blood. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter what you have said or thought. What matters tonight is that you respond to the mercy of God.
you respond to that mercy. I'm opening these altars tonight. I would to God that you would step out of your pew and that you would say, Lord, even if everything is right, I want to make sure that I respond to this opportunity, that I respond to the mercy of God. There's people here that needs to put things under the blood. There's people here that needs to make things right with God. Don't waste an opportunity. Don't waste an opportunity. But respond to the Lord today. God is here. He is extending mercy. He is extending mercy and truth. Hallelujah. Oh, God is here. There ought to be a place that you find before God. And just say, Lord, thank you for that mercy. Thank you for that mercy. Thank you for that mercy. If I'm going to rejoice over anything, I'm rejoicing over the mercy of God. I can't make it without you.
Your hand. 
Carson, upon the profession of your faith and in keeping the commandments of our Lord and Savior, we now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How precious is the Love. 